Well, welcome to the One Arm Minute, where we continue our hard target search for fun and facts through the minutes of the 1993 action classic, The Fugitive. I'm Roger. And I'm Susan. And this is Minute 25 of The Fugitive. And Susan, wow, I, we are we are blessed every week when we have guests, but we are especially blessed this week. We have some people blessed. to, we are doubly blessed to <laughs> get people to come on and give us a, a unique perspective on a Tommy Lee Jones movie because um, they have done minute by minute through another equally excellent Tommy Lee Jones uh, movie. It's the co-hosts of Bad minute. Uh, first, uh, John Parker. How are you doing, John? Hello, hello. Uh, l- listeners who are familiar with me might be like, "Why does John sound extra, extra? Uh, you know, uh, enticing." It's I have a cold, so I'm not doing great, but I am sort of doing great because I'm here to chat about this uh, movie that I hadn't seen in a long time. I should get you to do that scene from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where you Harrison Ford pretends to be Scottish and he's like, oh, see, I've uh, gone and caught a sniffle. Um, that and, is uh, a fascinating piece of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure we all have many notes. Um, and, of course, the other co-host of Bat Minute, Niall McGowan. How are you, Niall? Oh, I'm very happy to be here, uh, Roger. Uh, thank you for being so nice and uh, diplomatic of saying that uh, Batman Forever is as good a movie <laughs> as The Fugitive because we covered it minute by minute, and I love that film. And I'm here to tell you, it's not as good as The Fugitive. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, let's put it this way. Tommy Lee Jones won an Oscar for one of his movies, and it was it was this one. It was um, not Batman Forever. It was not what? Batman what? Forever. But if they gave an award at the Oscars for most outsized performance, I definitely think he could have been nominated that year. There should be a ham Oscar. Yes. The the golden the golden ham. Although he's up against Jim Carrey in the same movie, though. And it's true. Like, holy moly, there's just too there's too much ham there. They would have (laughs) Carrey goes over the top. Like he he like goes over the bar and then just keeps going into orbit. So does Tommy Lee Jones. Are you kidding me? Tommy Lee Jones is two-faced and Batman Forever is unhinged. I just have a great deep love for Tommy Lee Jones. That's all it is. (laughs) I think Tommy Lee Jones does it in a way that feels more. I don't want to say realistic. But, I don't want know. to say grounded either because neither of those things are true. <laughs> How about true to the character? True to the character. There you go. There you go. Yeah. 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 Whereas, well, to- whereas uh, Jim Carrey, you know, I do enjoy him in that film, but it, some people might think it's a bit too far. Yeah. I think uh, what we found was that people were like, Tommy Lee Jones is quote unquote bad in the movie in that he's not doing what you'd want to be done with Two Face, the character. Whereas Jim Carrey is bad in the movie in that he's annoying. <laughs> like, he's kind of doing like, oh, yeah, that's kind of a Frank Gorshin Riddler, you know, throwback he's doing. But Jesus Christ, dude, just tone it down a bit. Tommy Lee's perfectly good performance. It's just like, that's not Two-Face, though. Yeah. What the hell are you doing? You're you're doing the Joker. But that's not, that's not the same character, you know. But Jim, Jim Carrey is doing Ace Ventura supervillain. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. But this is minute 25. What an auspicious minute this is. This minute starts with Sam Gerard listing all the words he can think of that end in house. <laughs> and it ends with Kimball scoping out some new duds. Um, and I will just say, so, you know, last week, uh, you know, we probably started. Uh, so listeners, if you look behind the curtain, we're actually recording these minutes out of order just in case something weird happens. But I'm sure in the last minute, uh, we talked about the beginning of what is in, I think, arguably the most famous monologue from the movie. But let's pretend that this minute began with Sam Gerard saying, 
what I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search because you really have to put the whole sentence together. Yeah. Um, what? And then he I goes mean, into full poet mode. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'll just ask either one of you, like, how, what are your thoughts when you think back on this particular monologue? Oh, well, I have a, a very particular one in that uh, on that minute, um, every episode, people aren't familiar. Every episode ends on an, like a, a written outro a la the 60s TV show where it's like, you know, can the Cape Crusader escape Jim Carrey's carnal of criminal quandaries? Like all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then because I've written like like a couple hundred of them now, <laughs> you eventually start getting creative and start writing like musical versions and things like that to keep yourself entertained. And you pull things from the movies that the people are in. So I was actually trying to find it to see if I could track it down, but it was so long ago now. Uh, but I did write an outro based on this monologue for one of yeah. the. Yes. I was trying to think of what, but I just remember one of them was uh, bathhouse and bathhouse was part of it. <laughs> but the and rest of it's all lost, lost to. Well, it's in the, it's still in the feed. You know, if people want to go troll through the entire podcast, so you might be able to find it. But the, it's, it's in there somewhere. So now I remember sitting analyzing the monologue word by word, so I could kind of like riff on it for. Uh, <laughs> You know, and we will get a chance. So just to tease our Wednesday show, uh, e each one of you will get a chance on Wednesday show to decide which of these locations you would most like to hide in. So we'll get to oh. that. Um, but uh, it's 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 so great. I mean, the way that, like I, I can't remember exactly back that far because I was in high school, but like I am almost positive that this would probably be the clip that he would play if he went on Letterman at the time. I wouldn't mm. be surprised if this is the clip that they played during his Best Supporting Actor nomination. No, you know what? They always played the scene in the sewer. Always but, that. Yeah. That's what I think of with this movie because I hadn't seen this since – I think the last time I saw it was not long after it came out. So that's quite a long time ago. That's why Ooh. I was quite excited to be invited on. It's like, oh, it's an excuse to watch the movie again. <laughs> um, and I I vividly recalled the the bit in the sewer. Like that, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I sort of remembered bits of this, but I didn't realize how off the rails he went with some of the options, like Hen House. I would have to say to, um, to you as well, John, like internally, because me and John always riffing on The Simpsons. And when he says doghouse, I just have the mental image of like somebody looking at a doghouse and, like, and being like, Dr. Richard Kimball, my ass, it's probably a millhouse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Reaching <laughs> in. <laughs> um, what did you all think about the, just the, from a cinematography standpoint, the way that this scene is staged, where it's essentially, we see the, the voiceover is constant, but we are cutting back and forth between uh Richard Kimball running breathless through the woods and Tommy Lee Jones being all suave and cool as he attempts to send, send out the posse. Um, I did note that it's uh, the, the editing. I like the editing, but it also feels like it's beginning to set up a thing of like, he'll give an option of a place he could be hiding. It'll cut back to Richard Kimball and then cut back to him. And then but at one point, Tommy Lee starts spouting the places too fast. So it has to stop at being edited that way. And they're like, you only did it twice. You're establishing a pattern. And then yeah, they go, still went back and forth. They would have to put a warning at the beginning of the movie. Like if you have a, like a, if you're light sensitive or, you know, you have to be like, like MTV's The Fugitive or something. Like, hey, that's how modern movies are made. I'm old. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this, this editing is slightly dated. But then I remember that's probably was very, you know, avant-garde at the time. What thing, well, what, what, unless I'm mistaken, this was this whole scene was cobbled together for a promo originally, wasn't it? It was going to be that they were like, yeah, we need something for like a teaser trailer. And they got like 
out like an old version of the script and they were like tommy lee tlj come here and say this and he very begrudgingly went like okay and just did it straight to camera and then like the director was like oh that's actually really good we should like put that in the movie and then so they reshot it and got like joey pants and so everyone to be in the background and then they're like hey we got a scene now and then hey lo and behold it becomes like one of the big iconic moments from the fugitive that's you you story. you put a cop uniform on and stand here yeah. <laughs> we have we have heard that not that not that much of this movie is improvised some of it is but not all of it but we have heard tell we have heard talk that a lot of the scenes were maybe written in Harrison Ford or Tommy Lee Jones's trailer like the night before. Like they sort of they like to Robert Shaw their script a lot. Yeah, they yeah. changed it to their character's voice, I think is how I would put that. I always yeah. like that because I know there's different ways you can approach acting, but I I am personally a fan of the actor bringing something to the role as well. It like works both ways. Mm, mm. Uh, and I know that doesn't work for everybody. That's not everybody's forte or you know specialty, but that's how I like it, and I'm glad to hear that because this is the most Tommy Lee Jones I've ever seen him be. Yeah, <laughs> this, this entire like, movie. Yeah, yeah this, this is and, like peak TLJ. <laughs> can we, speaking of that, John, can we just can we just bask in the awesomeness of the head shimmy that he does in this minute when he says the words? <laughs> oh, this is Doctor. Doctor Richard Kimball. Yeah, I've had <laughs> waggle in my notes. It's like <laughs> Doctor. <laughs> I put that as like he's adding like a little bit of spice to the fact yeah. that he has to. I, 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 what are you guys' interpretation of the fact that he has to? It feels like he's kind of like yes, Doctor Richard, like it's like so he has to formality right. call him like he's like he's a scumbag who killed his wife, but technically I have to be like no, he's Doctor Richard. It's such be- scorn, like you know, like Doctor, this murderer is a doctor. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit yeah, like over but- here when we have to call someone Sir something because they've been knighted. So it's like no, yeah. I'm not doing it. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, one of the interesting things that we've talked a little bit about and will become, I'm sure, a topic of conversation for the whole movie is the character arc that Sam Gerard goes on over the course of the movie from essentially being a hunter of prey to being almost sort of like a sympathetic, uh, almost protective um, person, you know, as, as he in a somewhat, I think, irrational way reinvestigates the crime which i do not think is what your typical u.s marshal will do um but but at, at this point you know richard kimball is just a mark in his book like he you know he just has to go and get this guy well, well he sort of I starts like. out um you know re relitigating the crime a little bit sort of to get an idea of maybe where he would go who he would talk to but then i think he actually becomes invested in the investigation especially when he sees our two cops are completely incompetent don't care he's like he's guilty that's it we're done <laughs> well that's John, what we're like going to say is uh his character is that he um he he isn't bad because it would be so easy to make him the villain well he could right? this mustache twirl like there's no tomorrow yeah well, it actually made me think about um, First Blood, you know, the first Rambo movie. Yeah. Because in a difference from the book, in the movie, they pretty much just make – it's the same It's the same scenes. It's the same character and everything. And they just make him evil. And you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, he's a jerk. They make like, Brian Dennehy's characters. They make Rambo 100% sympathetic, and they make yeah. Brian Dennehy an asshole, the cop who's after him. Whereas, Whereas in the book, the... it's more like – yeah, go oh, sorry, John, I'm stepping all over your thing. Right. Yeah. yeah, in the book, it's a bit more nuanced, isn't it? It's a bit more like, okay, well, yeah, okay, he's being a bit of a jerk, but he means well. He just wants to look after the town. And it's like Tommy yeah. Lee Jones here. All he knows is a criminal has escaped – 
and we've got to get him. And yeah. Like, okay, cool. Let's do it. Like, cause that, that sounds like a good thing, right? <laughs> he has I mean, a, it, because it, go ahead. Go ahead now. I was just going to say, everything with him is so, like, he's, he's at that great, uh, he's got a kind of nexus going on where he's at the cross section between being, you know, so incredibly efficient at his job and he's just an expert in what he's doing and he's the best of the best of the best. And also, He's so tired, and he's yeah to do this. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that. So you know his his entrance line, which you know we talked about two weeks ago when he cut like his first line in the movie is my 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 what a mess. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that tells you everything you need to know about the character of Sam Gerard. Yeah, but the things this whole you know like dog house hot house like all that stuff. You know he said this like a million times as well. Yeah, like he's just like this is my like way back when I was a young buck. This was like my big jazzy thing I come in with, and now it's just like <laughs> it always gets everyone's attention. But I just have to, everyone to shut up and listen to what I'm going to say. I'm rattling out the instructions, and now my investigation is underway. This is my seventy fifth case. <laughs> I like yeah. to think of it as like his first case where he's been charged. Like I want a hard target search of um, um, cafes, uh, <laughs> McDonald's. Um, in each case, he he discovered that there was a guy in an outhouse one time. So I add that to the list. Add Check all the, the outhouses. This <laughs> guy was in a doghouse. Like, oh, no. So I add doghouses to the list. Hiding in a doghouse or a hen house. That would be clever. I I wouldn't think of looking in those. What the hell? Well, I'm, <laughs> an anxious, house. I'm yeah. anxious to hear from you on Wednesday which location you are going to pick. <laughs> so you have time to think on that. Um, yeah, so, okay. So, I mean, looking past this, um, we've already talked about this, but I don't know if you all know this. Uh, so, Susan, do you think that these scenes are the ones where Harrison Ford hurt himself? Because, John and I, I don't know if you know about this, in the running scenes, Harrison Ford injured his leg pretty badly and re refused to receive medical treatment because he thought that keeping the limp for the rest of the movie was more authentic to the character. Susan, do you think it's in this? Do you think the scene in this minute where he, like, he just like wipes it wipes out is the scene where he like when he gets up from that white lapse because it was just playing on my screen right there when he wipes out and he gets up he he legitimately looks like he's in pain now yeah harrison ford is a very good actor <laughs> but he legitimately looks like ow that hurts <laughs> yeah. yeah he's a very good actor but he's also very good at uh sustaining injury while acting Yes, he breaks himself <laughs> a lot. Um, but like when he, the first part where the, the part where he's running along the river and we're intercutting between him and uh, Gerard, uh, he's running very well. He's mm. not, not doing the usual Harrison Ford kind of run that looks like it hurts, um, <laughs> but he runs very well. But after he gets up and he falls, the look on his face is like, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things. If you've got that on film, you might as well keep it. What's, you know, you yeah, that's too pain for nothing. Well, it's the Aragorn thing. Like when he kicks the helmet and breaks his toe and yeah. screams. John, that's easy for you to Sold. say. You didn't like tear your, tear your Achilles. <laughs> well, I, I absolutely destroyed my foot at the start of this year, actually. Um, the whole thing went black. Niall remembers this one. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but attached? I carried on. It's still attached. <laughs> it was okay in the end. I carried on dancing all night. I, I, uh, I'm a dancer. And, um, for like another hour, I carried on. Didn't even realize it was as screwed up as it was till the next morning. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Part of me likes to believe, though, that like Harrison Ford went down and then just let out like a really like horrific shriek and was just rolling around. Going, ah! And then after he's like, cut that footage, delete that footage. No one has to ever see that. I'll go on and do it again, but no one has to see that. <laughs> It's, it's a tough one, though, right? Because obviously, yeah, keep it in the movie because you've got the footage now. Cool. 
But at the same time, is it a good idea, Harrison? You should you should probably get it looked at. You could so, cause some serious damage, right? Especially at his advancing age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have another question for, for you two fine folks, because um, we've talked about this on previous episodes, because I have it in my notes here, like, I, this is the first scene where I find it a little bit unlikely that no no one will notice this stranger in a bright yellow jumpsuit. Um, <laughs> and we did notice in previous minutes that some prisoners get green uniforms and some prisoners get yellow uniforms. Why do you think that Richard Kimball has been put in this color of prison garb? Uh, if I had to guess, it might be that he... The guys in green are just getting transferred from prison to prison, and he's like a newbie, so he's uh-huh. like going in for the first time. That's because I, I, like, because I know in orange is the new black. They specify like, no, when you come in first, you're in the orange jumpsuit, and then That's when right. you're there, you're in like a tan one. So I think like, well, maybe these guys are like, well, the ones who have been moved from place to place are in green, but like someone who's actually going into the system for the first time is in yellow, so people know yeah. where to put them and stuff. That is an interesting theory. That's a first. I like yeah, that I think, theory. I think you've probably beat anything I could come up with. I was thinking, well, is it were they all on death row? Is it just him? I, we don't I, know. That was that was my theory that the two in yellow were death row inmates and the two in uh, green were not. Yeah, well, that also makes a lot of sense as well. To be fair, <laughs> but would the death row inmates be getting transported with other? I don't know. Maybe I don't know how it functions. A bus Having... is a bus. I think so. Yes. I think they just have to take him to Menard. Yeah. And then also, just yellows is Harrison Ford's color. <laughs> he requested. You know what, <laughs> Niall? We did not consider the possible the fashion implications. Maybe they just went to Copeland, and he was like, "You know what? Green flatters me." It's an important consideration because I remember when uh, Star Trek. I have to go back to Star Trek again, but when Star Trek: The Next Generation. Drink, started, everyone. Star Trek everyone reference for the week. <laughs> <laughs> when they started um, Star Trek: The Next Generation, they changed the different colors around. So gold was no gold was now operations. It wasn't command, and so. On, and all because they didn't want certain actors in certain colors. Mm. Well, fair enough. I, I, have, I have sat through all of TNG as well and always was keeping track of those uniforms. So mm-hmm. it was, was it because it was... Patrick Stewart was just so like pale that yellow would have just like reflected <laughs> off of his face? I think it didn't suit, uh, yellow didn't suit Patrick Stewart, but yellow worked very well with Data's coloring as well. So they just switched them. Uh, God, this thing was so, so weird towards the end, though, where they just had him in like Picard was wearing basically, it looked like he was wearing like a biker jacket for a bit. Yeah, his Picard, like, we call it the Picardigan. Picardigan. Uh, it was just like, that doesn't seem <laughs> right for him, even as a character. Like, he'd be like, this is too casual. I can't. Yeah, he's it's Captain like, Casual. Captain yeah. Cash. <laughs> and then you get the Picard series where he's just wearing whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's doing Harrison Ford in Blade Runner, where he's like, I'll be yeah. in. <laughs> but. I'm well, that's, the, it. that's the thing I've, I, we've talked about this on our show with uh, Harrison Ford I love the way he's returning to all of his big roles now you know for one last hurrah with all of them but except for Indiana Jones he's like okay I'll do it but I'm not getting in costume I'll put a t-shirt and jeans on that's all you it's get like, with these I'll be Han Solo for you but I get to wear denim yeah, yeah. <laughs> but actually, with, these, with some of these minutes in like in general I have much more respect for that choice now because, like, he's like fifty-two when he's making yeah. this, and having a like as an I know he got paid handsomely, but like going like okay, so it's cold, probably freaking what winter going into spring, maybe shooting day. Harrison, get in the river, like go and stand in that freaking ice cold water yeah. and drag yourself. I was like, you earned hot, that paycheck, quite yeah. frankly. I have I have a note about this. Yeah, yeah. So according to the internet, which is never wrong, um, <laughs> they had to keep essentially like a giant 
giant tub full tub multiple giant tubs of hot water off camera so it was like all right harrison get in the river okay now you get to warm your your body yeah yeah that seems like it'd be too much of a shock yeah like like inigo like like inigo and the princess bride (laughs) <laughs> like taking the hot glass out of the the, the dishwasher and putting hot cold water. Yeah, that's that's how right. his ACL yeah. was. <laughs> he jumped from cold to hot water too quickly. He's like, oh, my ACL, goddamn. <laughs> I can confirm that the CarQuest Taylor auto parts that we see in this minute is located in Silva, North Carolina, which is also where the hospital is a little later that we're going to see. Wait, 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 I, wait. We're not in Illinois? We're not in Illinois. Shock no, of shock. I know. We're not in Illinois. <laughs> we're in North we're not, Carolina. We're not going to get to Illinois for like two Never. or three weeks from now. <laughs> That's and, all the uh, notes that the I have. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. The name of the creek that he's in is Scott Creek. Ooh. Wow. Also, did anyone else think that uh, this was the live action debut of Tomater from Star from Cars? Because that blue <laughs> tow truck looks exactly like Mater. Oh my god! Right, you've completely <laughs> transformed my viewing of the movie. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to rewatch it. Cars is now part of the Fugitive New Universe. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to rewatch it and keep in mind that it's in the Cars world, you know, and try and view it through that lens. <laughs> well, I think that was a, a you know, well-established fact that, of course, Julianne Moore was supposed to have a much bigger part, where she was going to be Harrison Ford's girlfriend, and then. They got rid of that. Mater was also supposed to be like his best friend, helping him out the whole way through. And there was a big high-speed chase in Mater, all that stuff. And then they were like, you know what? The movie's five hours long now. We're going to have to cut this. Sorry, Mater. Your day will come in a mere 12 years or however long it took to make uh, Release the Mater cut. There were so many opportunities for talking car. Imagine what the scene would have looked like with with Richard Kimball driving the ambulance. And the ambulance would be like, this doesn't seem like a good idea, Richard. No, 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 no yeah. for that car. But what a love, though, they came that. in, they're like, okay, get this. You remember The Fugitive, right? It's like, that was a good TV show. But what if Knight Rider as well? <laughs> and we're just doing <laughs> the two at the same time. That honestly seems that, like a... We're like, yeah, we're just going to remake a TV show, but we're actually remaking two TV shows in the same movie. Genius. <laughs> oh, my God, you can double your audience. Everyone's going to want that. That honestly seems like a plot idea that's at least as good at, as most of what's coming out of Pixar these days. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I, it sickens me to say I would watch that. <laughs> well, I would love to see a CGI animated Tommy Lee Jones to see, like, they'd have to describe how many hours it took to animate every crag on his face <laughs> and every pock and every wrinkle. They're like, oh, the yeah. The stunning thing were... is he's only 47 in this movie. He's three years younger than I am now. <laughs> Holy moly. <laughs> he's one of those people. I think he was born old. Yeah, yeah, but I, I remember think that. he was born an adult. Yeah, a yeah cranky it was, adult. <laughs> it was one of those things I remember of. Um, although that's it's more of a slight on Josh Brolin, I guess. But like, it's one of the, the main things I remember from Men in Black Three is when Will Smith goes back in time and he bumps into young Agent K and it's Josh Brolin and he's like, "How old are you?" And he's like, "I'm 23." <laughs> he's like, "Jesus Christ, <laughs> oh, man, you got some city miles on you." <laughs> so. Well. As Harrison Ford would say in another one of his movies, it's not the years, baby. It's the mileage. <laughs> exactly. You know what? And he's, he's, he's been through a lot. There's stuff going on. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of that, I don't have any more notes about this minute. Before, um, Does anybody else have anything else before we get to our guest segment? No, no. I'm, I'm nothing in particular. Um, all, all I was going to say was it also, as well as First Blood, reminded me of um, this might not mean anything to anybody, but the start of the Walking Dead game by Telltale, 
because with that, uh, it's basically the, the similar intro. You're being transported from a prison to somewhere else. The bus crashes because they have to swerve out the way of a zombie. And it's like this, but there's a zombie. Basically, it's exactly the same. And you have to try and flee and get away. And uh, it made me really want to replay that game. That was I love those Telltale games. Now you made me want to go back and replay all of Sam and Max. Oh, oh, yeah, underrated. People don't talk about that one anymore. Those things are fantastic. The The adventure game is a sadly neglected genre in computer it is. games. Well, on that note, this will be my expert transition. Um, so on our Monday shows, and I'm curious to hear from each of you separately, uh, we'd love to hear what you can remember from either your first experience watching The Fugitive, or if you can't, maybe sort of your most recent one that you did to get ready for the pod. So either one. So John, why don't you take that question either way you want? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I can't fully really remember when I first watched it. Um, but it, I mean, it was around that time I grew up loving Star Wars. So anytime Harrison Ford had a movie out, I would watch it because like, oh, it's Han Solo. So it didn't matter if it looked like the most boring thing to a kid. It's like, I'm getting it. Because <laughs> like, um, how old would it have been when this came out? Because uh, I mean, I'm 37 now. So it's 30 years, 30 yeah, years you- this year. Well, there you go. Um, so I would have I watched it, and uh, I would have liked it, but I probably just, like, rented it from Blockbuster and then, you know, waited for the next one. Um, mm. So I was quite excited, as I say, to watch it again for this. And I, I didn't know what to expect, really. I was thinking, will it hold up? Because I remember it being really big and really popular. And, um, no, I, I was thoroughly entertained. And I don't want to sound like an old person shaking their fist at the sky. But they don't make this kind of movie now do they like i i don't know no what what would you compare it to i mean i would say this movie now is you know a limited series on netflix oh a thousand percent Mm. you know what actually that's the only way i think it could have been improved and it wouldn't have worked back then because because tv was a completely different entity uh back in the 90s but i think this would have been even better as a as a sort of 10 episode thing yeah. Because I could see, I, I never watched the original show, but I could see the satisfaction when you get to the end finally and he finds out the plot and what's going on and who, the, and when he finally gets his hands on the one armed guy, you're like, oh my God. Whereas in the movie, it was satisfying. But obviously, you've only been with the character for like, mm. at that point, what? Well, like the, hour was and 20 the, minutes? Well, the original show of. The Fugitive ran for like 170 episodes. Whoa! Yeah. Okay, that might and be they, too much. <laughs> and I think the, the 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 series finale, the last episode, had like the greatest viewership in American media history or something at the time. For exactly the reason you're saying, John, that everyone's like, go. he finally got him. Jesus Christ, we're here. It yeah, would be. All those things are true. So I have I have seen none episodes of the 1960s TV series The Fugitive, but we had Jim O'Kane on our podcast two weeks ago. And he has seen many of them. That's um, the most Jim O'Kane thing I could imagine, yeah. Yes, yes exactly. But <laughs> it sounds to me like the old TV series, it's almost like the his fugitivity was more like a MacGuffin than anything else. It was just like, let's give us an excuse to put this guy in different roles in every episode. And the the manhunt was way less important. Yeah. Um, within the context of each episode, that's just it's what I like. Um, it's kind of like the Incredible Hulk TV show. He compared it like, to that, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think I, I think that's why it's the benefit actually of them cutting down Julianne Moore's part because then her little section where he just randomly goes in and helps this one little kid is kind of like, oh, that's like a little episode of the show. That, where, that's an excellent yeah. point. 
Nile, what, Nile, what was your experience with The Fugitive, either back then or right now? Oh, I do remember, actually, very distinctly, um, watching it for the first time because it was in terrible circumstances where, uh, not like, you know, don't get worried or anything, but oh. it was, it came out, and I remember my neighbor uh, got, his parents got a, like a dodgy copy, like a VHS tape that somehow had both The Fugitive and Jurassic Park on it. Oh, it'll be long play. It'll be terrible picture quality. Oh, it was horrendous picture quality. <laughs> but I remember the two families coming together, and they're like, yeah, this is the, the Sunday double bill was The Fugitive and Jurassic Park. But Jurassic Park was on the back end. <laughs> so, oh, it should be the other way around. One for the kids, one for the parents. Yeah, so I was sitting there, six years old, just like, I don't care about this stupid guy running away. Let's get to the dinosaurs. <laughs> well, I suppose uh, you don't really connect with his mission. You don't really get it. I don't think now watching as an adult, it was just like, oh my, like, I was so invested, not so much in all the action thriller aspects of it, but like Harrison Ford in that interrogation room and how devastated he is that he's lost his wife and yeah. stuff. It was just like emotionally really connected with it. And I was just so happy throughout this to see like, I really like this guy because he's such a genuinely good character. Not just in terms of like he's well played by a good actor, but that he is like Richard Kimball is like, he's an aspirational kind of guy as well. Like he's in the middle of everything. He's just like, he will stop and help people and stuff. And it's like, this is a really, like, yeah, you don't get, you you, you say, oh, you want to, you know, it's always good to have a little bit of darkness and stuff in your characters. Mm-hmm. And that's true. But I just like the fact that, yeah, he's just a, it's a kind of good old fashioned, you know. Uh, yeah. As you were saying there, John, you don't really, they don't really make films. Like, I imagine nowadays you get something like this, but it would be like Denzel Washington. And it would probably go straight to <laughs> straight to DTV or something well, like that. Well, you said it's, you said you know they they'd have a bit of darkness as well. That's exactly what they'd do, and I think it would ruin it. They'd have some weird backstory where the reason he's doing it so much is because he feels bad because he cheated on his wife like two weeks yeah. before, and it's like no, yeah, no, I don't need any like, of that <laughs> serious drama. It's like isn't the manhunt drama enough? <laughs> exactly. They would. <laughs> Am I the only person now who wants to see a Jurassic Park fugitive mashup? Because uh, <laughs> I want to see him running away from Tommy Lee Jones and. Dinosaurs. Well, I mean, Jurassic been... Park 2 is that with the T Rex. The T Rex is on the loose and there's a manhunt for it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's driving around in the cars and the car's talking as well. Mater's there. It's like, yeah, we're with the three of them back together. We just yeah, go, few fugitive car. Then they park. find the T Rex in a doghouse. <laughs> oh my God. They Yes. Oh. That would but be did, fantastic. But... My other memories of it after that, though, are just that like it used to be, it was one of those prestige movies that was like, Back in the day when, you know, before people had, like, everybody had, well, over here we call it Sky, but, you know, cable. Uh, and you had, like, a million channels. You used to just have, like, we had six channels or, or thereabouts in Ireland. And therefore, like, in the middle of the week, they would play, like, a proper film. <laughs> On your Wednesday night, you had something to look forward to. And it would always be, like, a proper film for adults. So it would be things. It was always like, things like Harrison Ford was starring. So you would get, like presumed innocent or yeah. like um jack you know witness. Like witness things like that and then of course like <laughs> one of them was the fugitive so i've seen it a couple of times in that way and then i, I didn't watch it for like a long time i just had, I had a friend in university who was obsessed with sam gerard he used to constantly he used to always quote his shut up like, and like <laughs> you sure he wasn't just telling you to shut up no no he was always, <laughs> always doing it in a very uh exaggerated tommy lee way and he always you mean the, from the scene where copeland gets shot Yes, yes. Oh, and uh, always did the little, like, I do not worry. <laughs> you slip that into conversations from time to time. But he had a real thing for Sam Gerard. And uh, my only other affiliation with it uh, is just that 
U.S. Marshals, obviously, uh, you know, not unrelated to the movie, the next movie that just wasn't as good. Uh, that was my cover movie for sneaking in to Scream 2 when that came out. So I went really? out as an 11 years old or whatever. That's fantastic. Like, yes, I'm going to see U.S. Marshals, the, sh- the film that every young boy wants to go out and see. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the thriller very much aimed at, you know, men in their 40s or whatever. I don't know. I, I, I apologetically you... love U.S. Marshals. Well, Niall, oh. and, and I will tell you all that uh, I don't know if this if this uh, I have to turn in my Fugitive card. I've never seen U.S. Marshals. I will oh. watch it for the first time before we put out our special episode as we explore the Fugitive Cinematic Universe. But, Niall, hey. you trade it up. Scream 2 is a fantastic movie. Oh, like, like I'd recommend if you want to watch U.S. Marshals, what you do is you watch the first like 30 seconds of it, then just put on Scream 2. <laughs> and then because your parents are picking you up at a specific time, then you go back and watch the end of U.S. Marshals without any context <laughs> what's happening. It's like the machete cut. Yeah. And then when your parents are like, asking you like what happened, you're just like, oh, yeah, a bunch of crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, turns out wow. it was Timothy Olyphant was the What's her name from Roseanne? <laughs> I love the way as well you mentioned, uh, you know, it's for people in their 40s, um, because as we both loved this, but that was your description of it to me, wasn't it? It was like, oh, yeah, this when I said they don't really make movies like this, I remember you saying to me the other day, uh, what was your exact wording? I think it was like, it's for middle-aged dads. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> it like a genre like... that they don't make, middle-aged dad movies. <laughs> oh, 90s fillers for dads, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, well. It's all that... stuff, yeah, it's just the stuff that, I, I, you know, that's a, you know it's, it's a little unfair, though, because my mom used to watch all this stuff as well. It used to always be like, with these were just like, they just had like, you know, back then, it was just like, yeah, it, it felt more like, yeah, if you have kids' movies for kids, there's family movies that are for families, and then you had adult thrillers that had big stars and reasonable budgets that weren't overblown or anything. And then people came out and watched them, even though they weren't all that effects heavy and stuff. And yeah, it doesn't feel like that. that Hollywood's not currently in that state right now. You know, it's, it's, no, it's not because this yeah. movie can't make three quarters of a billion dollars at the at this. No. no, no, no. It absolutely wouldn't. It would. Uh, it would be a disaster. Uh, which is a shame because this is a proper movie. Uh, and that's exactly. actually something you meant. I'll, this is one of the last things I'll say. I won't drag us on forever. But um, <laughs> you said there about the budget and things. I feel like if they did make a movie like this now, they would have to have loads of action-packed CGI sequences. Yeah, there's not nearly enough explosions. There'd mm. be a million explosions in it now. <laughs> It'd be, it'd be so over the top. Whereas what I loved about watching this, it it felt legit. Yeah. You could say it's a little bit far fetched, but but it it sold it to me. Mm. I didn't. So I didn't think that. Just to put it in perspective, um, and yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to drag this out for too much longer either. But this movie had half of the operating budget of Batman Forever. Half. <laughs> and this in this movie, they crashed an honest to god train into a real live bus. That's crazy. That's for crazy. only forty five million dollars. Hey, I mean, in Batman Forever, they blew up an actual uh, fiberglass model of the Batmobile <laughs> with Jim Carrey grabbing his crotch while he did it. I mean, come and on. You're, you're paying for quality over here. They, you know, they, they created an actual neuralizer that will steal your brainwaves. I know. They, they had to <laughs> yep, go yep. above and beyond. But, well, <laughs> a lot of research. Speaking of Batman Forever, um, our Tommy, one of our Batman connections um, – uh, can you all, uh, if we have to say goodbye for today, can you all remind us uh, where our uh, people can see and hear you on the internet? 
Yeah, sure, sure. If you want to hear more of us and me with a much better voice than I have right here, then you can look us up. We are, yeah, Bat Minute, which, I mean, I was going to say you can go to thebatminute.com, but uh, I don't know who uses websites anymore. You know, <laughs> you can just find it wherever good podcasts are obtained. We're on Spotify. We're on all, all of them. Just just type in Bat Minute. And um, we have another show, Miami Minutes, where we talk about the supposedly bad movie Miami Connection Ooh. but it's not bad it's good and anyone who thinks it's bad is an idiot and I'm not saying that in an ironic way <laughs> John gets very threatening when people are bad about Miami Connection <laughs> I do I do because it okay it's technically not good but there's so much love and heart put into it it is good there's passion I like I like to refer to it as craptacular because it is yeah. both crap and spectacular. <laughs> there are you a say lot of it? movies that are bad enough that they circle right back around to being great again. Hey, that's that true. Was, that's that true, was how I, I started that. my podcasting career with uh, Roadhouse, the pinnacle of so bad it's good. But you see, Roadhouse is in more of the vein, I would say, like Miami Connection is, of like, I I think they trans- they go beyond that even. I don't think they're bad. Mm. I think they're both, they're fun. Yeah. I don't care. Whereas yeah. some stuff is like bad and fun, but it's, you know, like... Like me and I are like troll too. Yeah, that's true. Like you know, that is just bad. Let's be you, honest. <laughs> you you don't enjoy watching the movie to make fun of it. You enjoy no. the fact that it is it is happy to be a low rent movie, but it's really good at what it's trying to do. Exactly right. Very good. Well, not this movie. This is this movie is a prestige movie, and we hope you all will come back on Wednesday. But thank you all once again for listening to another episode of the One Arm Minute. Please, if you can, rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app. Uh, if any five-star reviews, hopefully, will make their way onto this podcast. Come and join us on Facebook at Tempest Fugitive, the One Armed Minute search team. We're also all over social media at One Armed Minute. And you can email us at onearmedminute at gmail.com. So remember, until next time, we, we didn't, didn't kill, kill our, wife. our wife. I don't care. I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs>